everyone. Welcome to Coach Your Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And here's what we've got lined up for you this week. If you think of how many coaches do you say receive on the back foot? You hear that a lot, whether you're in academy football, whether you're stood on a Sunday league pitch. But what does it mean? So receiving on the back foot is the last part of the technique. So there's, there's probably seven components before you do that, that, that kind of refine the technique. Football is a bigger sport and you see more technical coaches in football, but I really think the true specialists are probably more in other sports because they have to, they have to break down the detail to make it work. So in, in you know, tennis, it's very much an individual sport. Golf, it's an individual sport. They have to really break down the individual components to make it work. Whereas in football, you can be lazy and get away with it. Tristan possesses over 15 years as a technical coach within football. He's worked in academies, however his niche market is his unbelievable attention to detail as a one-to-one coach in a technical setting. Tristan has worked with academy players and professional players as part of his Strike Academy and in this episode he offers a fascinating insight on the art of technical coaching, how to dig into the real detail on an individual's technical flaws as well as presenting some staggering data on what a one-hour technical session can offer in comparison to a one-hour coaching session. Okay, so this this episode of the Coach Out podcast, we've got Tristan Rhodes on, who's, um, I'd say, probably a specialist in individual development in terms of what I know about him as a coach and obviously works in academy football. Uh, Tristan, just kind of just give us a little bit of a brief overview yep. on you to start in terms of where you're at where you've been and and what you think of the area yeah okay so i've probably been coaching 20 years now uh started off with uh in grassroots and then as i got more experienced and started to progress my badges i.e um, a uefa b license i then started getting into academy so i've worked at, at blackpool um Academy. Uh, I've worked at Salford City more as a, a technical one-to-one coach and then more recently I worked with Morecambe under 16. So in terms of age range I've worked in academies from 9 to under 18. Uh, so certainly got a broad experience of doing that. Um, alongside that I've always done technical work. I've always done uh, one-to-one work. Now if I think back to when I started probably 15 years ago there was hardly anybody doing it. Yeah. Um, and if you look now, you only have to go on the on, on the on Instagram social media to see there is coaches absolutely everywhere. Um, and I think that's the thing with one to one. You don't have to be experienced to do it. A dad can buy a bag of balls and get out on a pitch and start doing one to one. So for me, there's all types of of, of one to one coaching. Um, and over time, I've kind of established what my beliefs are as a one-to-one coach. So really, really breaking down technical detail. And, and if you speak to people about technical football, what does it mean? I think everybody would have a slightly different view on that or a different take on what makes a technical footballer. Um, but over time and experience, I've kind of forged my own pathway with it in the sense of what my philosophy is and, and where I believe it, it's best to to develop um, or, or certainly uh, bring uh, technical processes in, into a training session. 
No, but we'll, we'll go into that straight away. We might as well. Cause, so what would you say is your philosophy that's developed over time and what's your kind of angle on technical coaching? Yeah, so, I mean, you've always got to look at this with uh, across different age groups. So if I think of kids 7 to 11, let's say as an example, it's more about um, touches and using all surfs foot. So for me, it can be moving in different directions with the ball, using their instep, using the outstep, but without getting too fixated on making it more position specific, let's say. Um, and that, so if I start with that bracket initially, that, that, is, that is fundamental. Um, and then as, as you probably progress up to 12 to 16, a lot of the core work for me with technical um, development is around passing and receiving. And because um, if you think of every you know every position on a football pitch, you've got to have the ability to pass and receive a ball. Um, so you know, receiving on the move, passing with the instep, it might be a five yard, it might be a ten yard pass, but really breaking down the detail attached to that. And then, like I say, you can always bolt on other stuff to that. So you might have a player that wants to receive a ball, but then drive and beat two or three players. So again, you you bolt that bit onto the you know the technical development. But I think it's it's almost developing technique that can translate to the game. So again, this is where the passing and receiving part of it is is absolutely fundamental to me. Um, and and it is really getting into the detail of that. And, and what I mean by that, if you think of how many coaches do you say receive on the back foot? You hear that a lot. Whether you're in academy football, whether you you stood on a Sunday league pitch, but what does it mean? So receiving on the back foot is the last part of the technique. So there's, there's probably seven components before you do that, that that kind of refine the technique. And a lot is triggered by the non-receiving foot to begin with. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, so a, probably the best way to describe it, if you're, if you're, if you're non-receiving foot's too close to your receiving foot, it's very difficult to rotate. And generally when you're receiving, you're receiving on the move to play forward. So it brings a lot of rotation into that part of the skill um, but that for me is an area that, that that's definitely missing uh, or certainly not coached a lot and I get a lot of academy kids in who can't receive a ball properly so they can't receive it on their instep um, and there's there's many steps to the technique that needs polishing and again it goes back to the point is do we do enough of receiving on the move you know when, you know which is a fundamental part of, of the game um, the the key parts for me, uh, but that but just sticking with ages twelve to sixteen, what I might do in a one to one session is almost set them up in their position. So you're working with the centre half, you're working with the right winger, you're working with the striker. You would almost set up a session that's kind of tailored to their position. So then they're familiar with the kind of the surroundings, and then you start to work, see where the technique is when they're moving in multi-directional. Uh, you know, movements or it might be lateral backwards, forwards, whatever it might be, the, the kind of um, something that's very typical that they do as, as, a, as a forward or a, or a winger. So it's getting into the detail that's more related to their position, which I think is a key bit. So again, it goes back to the setup. Um, but <laughs> technique is, is, you know, it's complemented by the environment. So, so again, if I think to the one-to-one, -one, it's, it's creating the right environment 
So, you know, when each player comes in, it's understanding uh, their personality, uh, but giving them the, 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 you know, the freedom to express themselves. And again, if you do that, you get the best out of play and the growing confidence. So again, it's, it's really tailoring your coaching style to each player. And that's the challenge. Every player is very different. So again, it's quickly understanding almost within the first session they come in, what makes them tick. And, and if you understand that, it goes a long way to progress the session. So, the, the, you know, almost the technical part, even though it's a strong philosophy, it almost comes second best because that creating that right environment has got to be the first part of the process for me. Yeah, because you're right, because you could be with that kid one-to-one for 90 minutes, two hours sometimes, and it's, it's a very lonely place if there's no connection there. So what kind of things do you, do you do to try and find that connection straight away? Again, it's a lot of a lot of it comes with interaction. So, so having a bit of humour, uh, you know, you've got to you're trying to get the best out of the session and almost uh, stay focused within the session. But you've got to bring a bit of humour into the session and make them feel relaxed. So, you've almost got to talk to them at their level. And bear in mind, you know, I'm an adult dealing with seven year old kids, and you might deal with a sixteen year old kid. So, yeah. straight away, they're going to bring a different personality to the session. So it, it's it's tapping into that and even though you want the session to be focused there's an element of it's got to be relaxed because they've got to be able to enjoy the ball and and enjoy the session and with that they will they will play with more risk and ultimately that's what you want because without the risk they'll never develop you know so if if they're a right footed player and they're more strong on the right foot the chances are they're not going to bring that left foot in so so again you know it's it's almost making it a risk-free session so so again it, it's through through the tone of the voice through through uh, the dialogue within the session you've really got to bring that you know that across um so but j- just quite interesting for me as well Lou you know I've, I've got some stats here so I was working with an academy player the other day and going back to my earlier point on touches so you had the um you had the little bands on on each feet measuring the number of touches that, that he's had. And in an hour's session, and it was passing and receiving. So bear in mind, if he was dribbling with the ball, he'd have a lot more touches than a passing and receiving yeah. session. He had 373 touches. In his six academy sessions, two-hour sessions, eight hours of football, he had 268 touches. What, combined over the six sessions? Combined six sessions. Wow. So that's... So if you think about it, and, and, and again, it goes back to what we're coaching in clubs, which is linked to technical development. If he was to spend 10 minutes per session working on his own, yeah, or working in pairs, it would have equaled the 373 touches that, that I've done in that one hour. Plus, the remaining time in that session, it would have, it would have doubled then my, my, you know, the number of touches that, that he had in my So again, it, it's before players go into the main session, what are they doing? You know, what, what, what are players doing technically? And, and so straight away when they come into me, you can see where players are lacking technically. And a lot of it is down to that engagement with the ball from a one-to-one perspective, you know, mastering the ball and manipulating the ball, whatever it might, just to complement the 
Okay, so I, I mean, I'm blown away by those stats, but again, obviously it's different, in, in, you know, within each uh, structure, academy setup, whatever it might be, even if it's grassroots, but that, on, on the other part of it, it's quite alarming that. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really, so go back to, you talked about like in the 12 to 16 age, you got a little bit more specific, so you might set, you got for your first session with a right winger from an academy club. You set them up in their position in a practice, like you said, got their surroundings, their environment. Yeah. What are you looking for in that first 10, 15 minutes of the session in regards to almost like profiling that kid in your head? What are you looking for? Again, if, if we use, let's say, a central midfielder and I might set up, so again, central to a pitch, and I might set up a, a small goal to either side, passing board, um, and, and, and different areas where he can bounce the passing, receive, play into a small goal, pass five yards, pass 20 yards. I'll be looking at his, his speed of play, his, um, his balance, um, what he's like when he's accelerating, de-accelerating, um, whether he's flat-footed or not, which is often overlooked. Because again, if a player is flat-footed, it can kill the technique. Um, so, so just really understanding how that player moves and manages the ball when he's moving in different directions um, and, and really homing in on, like I said, his balance, um, coordination, his ability to check his shoulder. So he's scanning it, scanning it, scanning it, scanning the pitch. So, yeah. so really, kind of really drawing in on that. Um, and then, you know, if there's a, a deficiency where he's too flat-footed and he's, he's struggling to receive, it doesn't mean I'm going to focus on that for, for the next hour. I'll slowly bring that into the session because each player needs time to process exactly the steps we need to take to, to refine that. So what it might mean, you work on his strengths for 60% of the session, you work on his weaknesses for 40% of the session, and again, you, you're kind of guided by going back to the point of how the player is reacting in the session, whether he's comfortable in that environment, whether he's struggling to absorb the information. If he's absorbing it well, then it's something that you might, you know, that weakness might be progressed sooner. You know, so yeah. you might, you know, whatever, you might start to really focus that and feed him a bit more information because he's got the ability to absorb it. Um, so... What does... What does um... So again, go back to your midfielder, you work on pass and receive and take the receiving element. What does good coordination look like when they are receiving then? So again, talk us through, you might be obviously serving a ball in or a players are working in pairs and you're watching the practice. For you yeah. to go, this kid's nine out of ten in my head on coordination, yeah. what, what key two or three things are you looking for in that player? So I, I always, I kind of always break it down into. So when I'm receiving a ball, a ball there's probably eight components to it. Okay. So if if you think of, um, you've got a centre midfield player, he's receiving the ball from the centre half, and the challenge is to receive on the move and play forward. So you're almost breaking the lines as you're receiving the ball to play forward. So if I use that example, so the first bit without touching the ball is you know ability to scan the area. Yeah, so ability to check his shoulders, scan an area, see what's around. And again, this is where you've got to be creative in a one-to-one -one where you might have a number of mannequins placed around him because you're never going to create 11, to, you know, 11 versus 11 or whatever it might be. 
So again, it's being creative. A key bit as well is almost judging the speed of the ball. So can you receive the ball at its at its fastest point rather than slow it down? So and what I mean by that, often you get players that when they try to receive, they just naturally drop off straight away. And sometimes they slow the ball down. The ball will slow down as it as it as it approaches the foot, or a player can intercept it. So what I try and encourage players to do is receive the ball at its maximum speed. So that might mean you have to step in three yards before you step back. Okay, so it's, it's almost a judgment on that. Um, and then if I break the elements of the coordination and the body receiving, and if take it the receiving on the right foot, left foot key. So again, if your left foot's too close to your right foot, you struggle to rotate. So it's the distance to it's the distance between your non-receiving foot and your receiving foot that's fundamental. And if the position's right from the non-receiving foot, it helps coordinate then your shoulder, hip, and foot rotation. And your shoulder, hip, and, and, and foot rotation are almost come together. So you open your shoulder, your roll, your hip rotates, your foot rotates with it, and your foot rotates because you can move the ball from a, a position facing your centre half to a position trying to hit your strike and break the lines, let's say. Yeah. Okay. And, but when you receive it as well, it's, it's, it's the direction and the way to the touch to receive the ball. So if you think about it, Lou, there's, there's seven or eight different components there that, that make, that, that refine and execute the technique. And often the decision, it, it, technique is the execution of a decision. It's just it's not when it's not when you take the ball. It's the execution of the decision that complements the whole technique. So, going back to your point, if I was to break it down, those are the kind of the areas that I would look at. Um, and it's the timing, like I say, it's the timing of that coordination to have the ability to open and rotate your body to to receive as, as you're moving, and then it's getting the it's measuring the consistency of that so you might repeat it 12 times let's say a player might do it three or four times so again you're building up to that consistency and when you've got that you're judging the pace at which they do it okay but that's just one part so for me you could receive the ball from a different angle you could you could change your direction of your run move into a space then receive so again you've got to bring multi-directional movements into it and almost throw the movement off pattern so yeah. again because that is typical in football isn't it a player will often change direction or lose his balance between uh, different movements so again you, you try and almost throw the player off balance to then uh, correct his balance and receive so the point I'm getting to there's so many different scenarios that you could build into that session to refine technique you know um, so um, yeah, that 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 is key for me, um, and I think what I try to do with the receiving a lot is receiving it on the instep, because if you think when a player receives more on the outstep, you tend to be more blind because the body's a little bit more closed, it's a bit more square, and they tend to wrap the the the, the foot across or the, or the leg across the body, whereas if you receive on your instep, you're more you're more likely to see the game because it, because of the coordination of your body. You will check your shoulder rope, you know, uh, uh, force your shoulder out. Uh, so 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 yeah. again, you 
adaptation. So again, you start to see the game better or you see pictures better. So for me, if I was to do receiving, it would be a lot more weighted to the instep than the outstep. So take like, again, go into this coordination, like you talked around, if your standing foot's too close to your receiving foot, you might not get that rotation right. So if you see that instantly in, in a kid that you're working with, 12, 34, whatever age, what would you then, what would your interventions kind of be within that session? What yeah. Else? Yeah. Have you got any little things that you do with them to always, yeah. almost like correct that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, for me, you would, you would isolate that area for one. So rather than bringing the eight components in, which are talked about to receive, you might bring in two or three. Um, and often you find if a player's struggling with his non-receiving foot and the dropping off backwards, the, the left foot almost stays on a line. It's got to come off the line to be able to create the angle. So again, it's bringing in a visual. It might be a few discs on the floor. So as they're dropping back, they've got to they've got to take the foot off the line just to encourage the you know the, the you know the, the the ability to start shaping. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, it's almost drilling in on two or three components and bringing in the repetition of that movement uh, so with that Lou would come in the footwork so the speed of the footwork because again the, if you've got the ability to move your feet quicker you'll generally rotate and manage the technique better if that makes sense yeah so so again rather than focusing on hip to shoulder which gives you the ability to see the space it's really focusing on hip down yeah so so again it, it's speed of feet um making them come off the line so the line of, of, of the run to to shape and receive um so so again it, it really is kind of homing in on that detail yeah and is it so again it feels like you're going to almost like a a physical component with the yeah. player. So how much kind of time maybe would you spend without the ball in that session or would it all be with the ball? Well, for me, a lot of it has to be with the ball. So if you're, if you're repeating the, the, the technique eight or nine times, they might do one or two without the ball just to get comfortable of moving the feet quickly. But, where I get frustrated as a one-to-one -one coach if a player doesn't, a coach, sorry, doesn't incorporate the ball. And, and not to say I'm right and, and, and somebody else is wrong, but if you look at a lot of one-to-one -one coaching, you see a lot of ladder work. You see a lot of almost S&C-type work. Yeah. Now, there's a benefit, but that's not my skill. That's, yeah. I'm not a that. So it's all about the ball. And... and encourage the ball in the session as much as possible is absolutely fundamental as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely think this is where a one-to-one -one coach and an SNC coach will work well together. And as, so if you talk academy football, as that player gets more comfortable, but he might be lacking in strength or physical development, I think that's, this is where the two come together to complement it. But fundamentally, me working as a one-to-one, -one, it would be more about the ball. Brilliant. So just to take it on top, we've got to talk to quite a lot about receiving there and the components. Talk to me a bit, Tristan, about 
scanning and awareness because I know this is another big thing of you where you really try and develop it. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, if you think of a player scanning, it's the it's having scanning left and right. So it's if you look at a really high level player, so you take your skull, Shavis, Iniesta, those type players, they 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 always have when you watch them play, they always look to have bags of time and space and and all hear them, they're always scanning the pitch. So for me, from, from um, bringing that into a session, it's scanning the areas you're moving, moving between, let's say, um, uh, columns, SAQ poles, whatever it might be, but really but scanning as you're taking the ball as well. You know, so... There's almost two parts to that, and and a play. When I say two parts, a play might scan four or five times in those two parts. So it's before the ball's near them, but it, but really at the point when they're ready to take the ball. And I think that is absolutely fundamental. And again, if you see some players that are naturally stronger on one foot, might naturally scan more on one side. So again, it's how you bring that into into the session but what I find generally with younger players when you're encouraging them the timing's not there so they, they, they might scan and completely miscontrol the ball so yeah. so with it there's always a timing element and that comes for me more when you bring it more into the session but again do it through multi, multi-directional movements and at different speeds so when the ball may be moving slowly, when the ball's moving quick. So, so, so again, and, and that is two different things for me because it's two completely different skills. Because when the ball's travelling at a much quicker speed, it's a lot harder to do because you're not also scanning the pitch and scanning the players, you're trying to coordinate your body as well. Um, so, so again, going back to younger and older players, you might really slow it down and be less focused for a player that's 7 to 11 but moving up through the ages again it comes more through the practice so you know it, there's a lot of repetition with it yeah and then again how would you kind of progress them sessions so again if you had a, a real striver yeah in a session yeah. what would that look like as you tried to kind of push them on and, and almost like you said cause them obstacles and mistakes so they got better yeah, so 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 again, it, you know, so you might have a player that's um, receiving a ball from um, switching the play from left to right. So again, scanning. So once he's kind of mastered the ability to do it, you you might bring in a range of passing. So he's threading the ball twenty, thirty yards. Um, you introduce the player doing it from different angles, different positions. Um, in tighter spaces, let's say. So again, there's there's more obstacles in the way in terms of mannequins, uh, and it, and you you might encourage different movements through the mannequins. So so again, you, you you're trying to similar to the receiving side or any technique. You, you're trying to almost throw the player off his comfort zone. So you 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 know because a player will always try and get back to his stronger side. Yeah. So, so it's throwing him on his weaker side, but again, throwing in different scenarios that might make the area a bit more congested, might give him a little bit more space, uh, whatever it might be. And what you find is that sometimes a player that has more space struggles with it. 
because you find it easier to do it in a small area and do it quickly, especially with it. You find with maybe a cat one academy player that, that, that does that works with the ball a lot and almost encourage that early in, in, in academies. You will find that he has better ability when he's doing it in a tighter space than when he has to play quick because it's almost natural. So, so yeah. again, when you when a player overthinks about it, they can they can almost lose that technical control. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. So, so, so again, it, it, it's it's yeah, it's throwing in different scenarios and trying to be creative. So it, it's almost replicating what they might do in a game. Uh, so again, yeah. in, in in its simplest form, it is multi-directional movements over different distances at different speeds. Yeah, it's really interesting because again, like working in the academies myself, it's it's almost you see kind of you're the, a product of your environment and I've probably been guilty of it in the past where you do short, sharp passing receiving drills because it's short and it's sharp and it's intensive and it looks good in terms of That's work it. rate when really it might be better to actually open it up a little bit um, yeah. and like I said, work on longer stuff because again, you go into the game and suddenly the player's got to play a ball over the top or between the lines and they can't do it. Yeah, um, and it's you come back to yourself and you think, well, I'm not actually given the tools to do it. Yeah, and, um, and go on. that's a really good point what you said there because it's about making the, the session look good. And and I think yeah, no matter what experience you've got and no matter how good you are, there's always a tendency to try and make your session look good, even in a one to one. So you might have a parent that's watching or an audience, and you're just trying to make it look good, but it might but is the player really developing? And I think you've got to have the mindset and the ability as the coach to step back from that and really understand what the player is getting out of it. So like you said, you might be passing and receiving over a short space because it looks quick and good. But when you stretch the pitch and players got a little bit and the player's got more time to think, it might look it might not look as fluid. But again, it's bringing a different strength or it's, in, it's developing a weakness that's going to complement them in the long term. So I think yeah. that's a real, yeah. Yeah, it's a real great point because I'd like to kind of go down a bit of a different route now. But like, who's who's really influenced you in this stuff? Because again, I've I've known you for a while, and this is like I know this is your passion. But I've just personally, but I've never asked you in terms of where did the kind of passion really come from? Uh, who's your influences? Who do you kind of go to 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 get ideas as well, or is it all from just yourself? developing yeah yeah you, you probably don't want to sound arrogant don't you but but um, yeah a lot of it is me i mean in the in in the old days i used to go to cook uh, cover coaching and, and yeah. going to and i can't you know don't get me wrong they, they bring a lot of benefit but it, i i almost found a lot of it was about ball manipulation but trick yeah. skill and that has a place in its game but like i said i always think i almost think as a kid gets to to 12 upwards they've, they've got to step out that don't don't get me wrong they'll they should always do that. They should always bring that element of the ability to manipulate the ball. But almost, yeah. like I said, you're going in something that translates a little bit more to the game where it might be passing, receiving the ability to play quick rather than twisting, turning, beating three or four plays and keeping on to the ball. And I, I, I don't know, I kind of went down the, the, the route with of, of really drawing in on passing, receiving, almost become an obsession. Yeah. So. So if I think of, because 
a lot of players I've worked with, and you know, Lou, I've worked with a lot of players at academies, professional. I've worked at a lot of players, and I've, I've generally always found that players struggle to pass and receive technically that's fluid. And I watch, and and if I think back to the FA and what it's about, so it's always been about mirroring the Spanish game or, you know, mirroring successful European clubs that can play technically, let's say. Yeah. And, 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 and again, kind of when I watch, the, you know, your, your Spanish players, they, they just look so composed and fluid on the ball. So I, I almost think my passions come from that. Yeah. And, um, but would you, but would you say they have, again, going to Spain, like you think, you can think of tons of players off the top of your head that pass and receive the ball really well. Is it so much they've all got an individual technical passing receiving coach like yourself or is it the culture of the training sessions or something different that they might do that allows them to work on this better? Yeah, I, I think for me, because it seems to be more uh, more apparent across the full spectrum, it's, it's, it's the, the hours of football and it's almost the, the philosophy the clubs bring in at an early age for me. That, that, that really refines that and if you probably think more on the continent than that there the seems to be more there the seems to be more one-to-one technical coaches you don't really hear one-to-one technical coaches in clubs you you, yeah. you did oh, sorry you, you, you don't so I definitely think there's certainly a better appreciation of the technique in Spain and other countries and it is introduced Along with the hours, coaching hours in 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 those countries, a lot sooner. Um, so, so yeah, and so for me, that that is definitely an influence. Um, so yeah, that that is yeah, that's probably where I've kind of shaped my own ideas, um, yeah. and then generally thinking there's there's always a gap so again if we talk about them eight components of receiving I, I, do you really see is that tall is do you see that i never see it i've never seen it in my experience as an academy coach in my experience working with other coaches in my, in my experience working with other players and, and what they get they don't get that it's it's all about scan the space back receive on the back foot going back to my earlier point but that is the back foot doesn't work if the other parts of the body don't work because the back foot's the final bit. So the back foot, every other bit is 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 where you develop it. So, so um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thinking back to the FA and developing technical footballers and whatever it might be. So, so that is certainly something I've probably honed in on and, and tried to. Um, really run with my own ideas to and, and given, given my experience of, of, of doing so many hours at once more. Yeah. What, what does a player look like that's progressing well within you over a series of 12, 24, 36 weeks? What does, what does that player look like? So again, you talked about your eight components. Do you have almost benchmarks and markers in your head that you assess off or, just, again, the things you're looking for? Yeah, so if I go back to, before I even start talking about technique, if I go back to um, the personality. So, so again, you, what, you, you see that player just generally thrive, session, confidence, playing with a little bit more risk, um, 
being more comfortable with the ball. So generally, when they're starting to do that, before you even look at the ball, you can tell the technique is getting better. Does that make sense? Yeah. So just just the ability to relax and, and, and just, before, again, without looking at the ball, just the way they move the body. So, so again, that, that, I mean, that coordination. Um, and, and then um, going back to the bit of being, not being flat-footed, being kind of fluid, fluid in the movement, um, the components coming more together. So we talk about those eight components as, as a random example. We started off with two components, they've now got four or five. Yeah, so, and, and, yeah. and, and then the speed of the play. So they might, as they're moving, let's say, left and right, and then coming in to receive the ball or whatever it might be, you might just see a little bit more fluidity in the movement. So they might go from gear three to five rather than gear one to five. Do you get what I mean? So, yeah. so yeah. again, it, I like that idea. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's that speed of play. So there's, there's a number of things, Lou, that kind of bring it together and you just start to see it. And, and what generally happens, because it's a two-way thing, this. So when you talk about a player being relaxed, the coach has got to be relaxed. It, it's, it's a two-way thing. And generally, when the coach is a little bit more relaxed, the coach gets more out of the player. Because so, if a coach struggles to interact with a, with a kid, how can they possibly develop into his maximum ability? You know, so the, it, it's almost, um, it's, it's almost complementing each other as, 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 the, 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 you know, as that, those sessions progress and that development starts yeah. To, re to, to, to really kick in. Uh, so, and another key bit is that you're not forcing the movements. They're naturally starting to pick up the movements themselves. So I made the example earlier of a player sometimes when he's receiving, he might go onto the ball rather than drop off because I'm asking him to receive the ball at its maximum speed. So that player might naturally just step into the ball, then step away. So you just start to see the little bits of movements without you trying to manufacture a movement to make the technique of the session work. And that is a critical point for me. Yeah. How would you, and again, I know we've had this conversation before at previous clubs, but for the sake of this, how would you counter the argument that there's potentially a play with an unorthodox receiving technique, but they're still in regards of execution of 10 out of 10, um, how would you kind of work and cater towards that? Or would you argue that we need to still break it down and correct it? Uh, really so, good question. So again, yeah. take like, again, take like the component of you talk around, if your standing foot's too close to your receiving foot, you're not going to turn. What if yeah. you had a player that could actually still spin almost on yeah. a sixpence and the two feet were close together? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really good question that Lou, and 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 again, I think you sometimes have to put a bit, a bit of age uh, around this. So, yeah, what I, what I mean by that, you might have a player that's eighteen or, or older that they've almost mastered that. Yeah. So, why would you coach that out of them when the mechanics are almost programmed to do that? But when you think of a player that say like 12 or 13, and it won't be a 10 out of 10, he might be an eight out of 10. Yeah. You, 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 I, 
this is where I think you, ha you, know, you would have to break it down for me. And the, the way I would approach it to a player is going a step back to go two steps forward. Yeah. You know? so, so I definitely think age plays a part. And I, I definitely think right up to, let's say, 16 level, there's always space to correct it, really correct it, even if you think it's a polished technique um, for, for the reasons that I've mentioned. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. That, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting because again, we had that we've had the arguments in the past, and so again, like talking about that that kind of one to one connection with players, what kind of things and ideas and maybe tips would you give to someone who's working with someone one to one and the kid's genuinely not getting it or is really got stuck in that rut of like you're trying to get them to work the feet in a different way and they just they're not picking it up or they can't do it. How would you kind of manage that? Yeah, so, yeah, so, again, good question. So, if a player is going into a one-to-one -one coach, if I've understood your question correctly, yeah. not getting the best out of it, first of all, you've got to question the player. You know, so, what are they giving to the session? Yeah. I think you, 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 it's a two-way, it's always a two-way thing. And, Yes, the coach has the experience, the coach leads the session, but it doesn't matter how good you are. If you come in, if you work with a kid that might be struggling at home or getting bullied at school or whatever reasons it might be, then it would be really hard to motivate the player to then really encourage how you want to bring in the technique. So for, I think, first of all, it's understanding where the player's at in the journey. Is there a reason why he's struggling? Is that reason yeah, if that if they're not the reasons, it's understanding what the coach is doing with them, and and there's no harm in a player, and I and I always think this. So if you get a player that comes into me, they never tell me what they never tell me what they want to work on. Very very rarely. Generally, when they're older, you will get a message or something before saying, "I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Can I work on that?" So again, that communications key because that might then encourage the coach to tailor or set up the session slightly differently yeah you've got a baseline to work with if he hasn't got a baseline to work with then it might go back to the, the coach having the ability having the experience you know really getting into what needs to be developed so there's a number of different things to consider and it's a really difficult question to answer given that every circumstance can be very yeah. different because i Play, I work with players and I know when I've got the best out of them. But believe me, I've worked with a lot of players and I think, you know what, I didn't get much out of that. I struggle with that and I'm disappointed with myself or the player's not giving me this or whatever it might be. But there's a combination there. And the yeah. combination is, 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 the, is both parties, even though the coach might heavily lead the influence. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because because just trying to start to kind of round it up. So take what you do, Tristan, and put it into an academy or into a club, almost like a utopia thing. What would you recommend it to look like or what would you want it to look like? Yeah. Again, again, it will change. If you've got an overarching philosophy, an overarching plan, whatever, it might... It, 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 can gen, it can generally 
changed through the different ages. But so again, going back to seven, eight, nine year olds, the first part of the session might be about a lot more about ball, manipula ball manipulation, all surfaces of the foot, twisting and turning. As they get to 11 onwards, the first part of the session might be more passing and receiving. Okay, so it's weighted slightly differently. But I'd always, there'd always be a core to it. So again, you, you, your passing and receiving might go across all the ages. It's just that there's a different focus with each, with, with each age group. But that one-to-one, two-to-one relationship, whatever it might be, and that ball contact will be fundamental throughout each, throughout each age range within the academy. And I, I, I think I, I, that is where I will be taking it, 100%. I, and and it, it goes back to ball contact. And, and if you think of the comparison I made at the start of the session with coming in for a one-to-one -one compared to touches in a training session or even compared to touches within a game, you've got to encourage the touches in the training session because it will far outweigh the touches in a game. But the more touches in a training session, complement the game because again the, the, it's more ball time creating that development that natural development to then take it to a game and be more comfortable on the pitch so um, I don't know if I've answered your question um, yeah in, in... Um, I think again it's something that everyone's still trying to explore there's, there's been like an influx of like individual coaches within probably Cat 1s and Cat 2 academies but it's been more around managing players that move between age groups that's almost what the role become just almost yeah. like the logistical and they'll they'll get their top ups and it was interesting chatting to someone else about this recently but um i think that's where it could evolve to or if it was almost like a a bank of staff that worked with them players but again it's you're talking at the top end between 18s and 13 you're not talking down at the bottom end between 9s and 14s where is there more scope there for a specialist coach to be around that as well, like you said, and have that transition of load of touches into the, the whole more passing and receiving and being a bit more position-specific, but then also them coaches at that age, they have to be specialist in that because the more yeah. touches they're having, like my argument is as well, if it's not getting coached properly, it's more negative touches and it's not developing the correct skill ways. Brilliant if they're having a thousand touches a session, well, they get the right detail and development around that. Perfect. But if it's a thousand touches where they're getting told to put the foot on top of the ball, then again, it's it's that program, isn't it? Method. And that, that's a really good point. What you just said there, because you, it's 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 the right development, the right specialist doing the things the right way. So again, if you think about a golfer going for golfing lessons. If the shoulder or the, the way they strike the ball, I'm not a golfer, by the way. So, but again, if if the coaching's not right, the technique would never get developed. It's the same with football. And and I worked with a kid whose dad was a, a tennis coach, and he kind of related a lot of what I did to what he does. Go on, expand on that. In the sense of the detail you've got to get into to make the the technique work uh, and, and so different, you know, again, if you think of tennis and football, you're multi-directional movements, aren't they? You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of footwork, but the, the, the main point was really breaking down that step-by-step -step detail. The same with the, with, with the pro golfer giving, giving an amateur lessons, it's breaking down that step-by-step -step detail. So um, you might have a scratch golfer 
training somebody or, or somebody that plays or five training somebody, the scratch golf is probably going to go into a little bit more detail as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, an exaggerated comparison. But, yeah. So I think that's, but, but homing in on your point, Lou, I think that's absolutely key. It's, are they teaching the right things? Are they teaching them to do it badly? <laughs> you know, so, because kids are, are, are led by coaches. They, they draw on their expertise to refine their technique. So I, I think that's a really good point. That's yeah. a really good and, and again, go on. And, and take coaches for what they are, Lou. You know, I've gone into, worked in, a, in, in academies and some coaches are tactically better than me. You know, I'm technically better than other coaches. Coaches have got their own strengths and weaknesses. That's how we work. That's how we operate. So, um, so again, it, it's drawing in on those techniques rather than thinking of coaches all around because not everybody so so again this is where it comes to academy managers the programs that are introducing in 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 into clubs how they're exploring it how they're breaking down what a good uh, what a good coach is how they're bringing that then into the tailoring the sessions then Uh, so whatever it might be um, because you could argue that technical coach should start with the younger ages to begin with because that's where the foundations start um, but my argument to that would be yes, that would be great. But a technical coach would also have to work with, work through the older ages as well as the transition to something different, where it might be a bit more passing and receiving. So again, it's really, it's really understanding what makes a technical coach in the example we've discussed, and and how that might complement the different ages and, and and academy development. Let's say. Yeah, no, it's it's almost like I feel like in roles in the past where. You have your MDT team. Yeah. There's a part missing where you don't have a almost like a technical specialist. I still think there's a there's a real big kind of place for it to to um to kind of participate because I know we we spoke in the past around almost how could you maybe take a session? Yeah. That you're doing a typical might be a phase of play, yeah. and actually one of the players is falling down technically in the session, so can you actually take that player out of the session, work with them and then drop them back in? Because if it was a tactical piece of information, you do a drive-by or you pull that kid off the pitch and stand with a tactics board, where could you go? What could you do? If it was physically need extras, like they do a top-up, so why can't there be a, a technical element of, well, they're not receiving the ball well enough in the pocket, the number and, 10. And, the and session's it, falling down, so... How do yep. we add that in? And again, you've done you've done the coaching, you've put them back into the session, and it's almost where's them prompts and reminders to to that player rather than take it's always like a tactical one. That's a really good point again, Lou, because you know, the example I gave you is that you might do a bit of technical work at the start of the session, 20 minutes in, let's say, and then you introduce them into the main session, but you're quite right. You know, if a player is struggling technically in that session, you might pull them out. You might see it and, and then start to work on, on that. Or, and, and, and then um, really, really homing on that player in a, in a, in a, in a situation where it's more real. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that's, that is an area that is, it would really, really improve um, any, any development time. I, I really do. Um, yeah. And just yeah. lastly, like you said, you touched there on the the golf golfing analogy and the, the tennis coach. Like 
have you ever done anything specifically and gone out almost like outside your comfort zone and looked at other individual sports and coaches or or is there something from she sounds like your line of industry outside of football where you see real good individual development kind of going on and really detailed? Yeah, I, I think good question again. Um I wouldn't say I focus too much on other development in other sports, but I think but I think it's really underestimated. I really do, because the different sports complement each other. And what I do think, there's far more specialist technical coaches in other sports than there is in football. Even though there's more, football is a bigger sport and you see more technical coaches in football. But I really think the true specialists are probably more in other sports because they have to, they have to break down the detail to make it work. So in, in you know, tennis, it's very much an individual sport. Golf, it's an individual sport. They have to really break down the individual components to make it work. Whereas in football, you can be lazy and get away with it. And I think that's, a, that's probably a key bit of that, if, if you think about it. And so again, it goes back to one-to-one coaching. When you, so if uh, going back to those eight components of receiving, if a coach, a coach might miss four or five of them. So is the player being really developed? Golf, tennis, he won't miss them because he'll tell by the way the ball's being struck or whatever it might be. But you get away with it in football. How many players are lazy and get away with it? How many players play at the highest level and are lazy and get away with it? So I, don't, I think that might answer your point. Um, or hopefully it does. But yeah, I, I think there's, 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 there's not, the, the balance is not there. Again, if you go across the wider spectrum of sport. And I think that that's a great way to leave it now. And I really appreciate it, Tristan. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, top man, Lou. Always good. Cheers, mate. Coach Help is here to help you. Do you want guidance on your own personal development? Do you want to reflect better? Coach Help's primary focus is to help teachers, practitioners and coaches to do this. Get in touch today to set up a free consultation and ask any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at CoachHelp3 or email us at CoachHelp123 at gmail.com.